Most of you would know, because um, uh, I've spoken many times, of the fact that I go and pray with uh, some uh, two old gent- older gentlemen uh, on a Tuesday morning. And, and this is Roland. He's the man who has been faithfully praying for this town for decades. So it's a privilege to have you with us. Is there anything that you feel that you would like to say? Yes, um, last week we were together on our own because uh, the other dear brother who, we usually, who I usually meet with couldn't be with us and we heard about this venture of him going out to, is it Kurukistan? Have I got the right word? Kurukistan. Yes. And somebody being planted there. And uh, as we were think, singing this morning... I couldn't help but sense, at least, that something of what was going up to the Lord here was coming down on that particular place. In Psalm 133, it speaks about brethren dwelling together in unity, and it speaks about the the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. And it's the dew of Hermon. It isn't dew that's like the dew of Hermon. It's exactly the same dew. And uh, if I might say so, that I went and told someone one day that when we were in the farm, when my dear wife was on the farm at home in South Wales, you could look right across to the highest beacon in uh, South Wales, Penavan, and you'd see the cloud there, and the cloud was upon it all day, all day, all day, sometimes. And I said to someone where we were in my second pastorate, he worked in the meteorological office of the... um, um, an establishment right down in West Wales, something like Farnborough up here, you know, only for the Navy, etc. And he said, oh, he said, that cloud was moving all the time. And he explained to me that there was some atmospheric pressure and the cloud was there and you could not see it. It was all there. And when it came to rise on that mountain, the pressure caused what was there to come into a cloud. And always where there's that cloud, there's the dropping of the dew. And it's going all the time the same speed as the wind. And then over there, there was another high peak. And as it goes over the top of Penavan, it disappears or it goes back into the form that it was before it appeared on the pen van. And then it came down upon that place. And what was falling down on that place was the same dew that was falling down on the top of Penavan. And that spoke volumes to me in those days. And um, I just wanted to share that this morning, that as there comes something from 
within our spirit by the Holy Spirit. The Lord causes it, in this case, to fall on that particular place. And as it falls on that particular place, it, oh, shall I say, it, it refreshes, no, it, it, he by the Spirit does his work there according to what is needed. As by the same Spirit, he is doing his work here. And perhaps something that's fresh in the sense of something from last week. Thank you, Rudy. So last week uh, we looked at um, the the passage of Scripture in Colossians, but also we looked at the the concept that God has said that the the harvest fields are are ripe and ready. And we're to call and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. And we are to pray and say, God, send workers, but also here am I, send me. Remember, we looked at those things of the the fact that actually it simply means for us to live out our lives in faith in the communities we live in with those in front of us. That we would be salt and light and declare the truth of his word and reach out and and intentionally involve ourselves in the lives of those around us. And we looked at how Jesus did that. And, um, uh, and then the challenge for us. And you remember there were three things, uh, if you were here last week, that I said that I felt God was wanting us to um, focus on or, or, or have a concerted attention to. The first was that of harvest, like we spoke last week. A sense of harvest, of evangelism, of fruitfulness. You could say of reaching out to those around us in the world that is lost and dying and desperately needs the truth of the gospel. The second was that of communities, which we're going to look at today. And the third is that of pioneering. And so I want to look today at the, at the area of communities. And what I mean by that is if, if last week was reaching out, this week is reaching in towards discipleship, uh, in equipping and preparing us for our, uh, and equipping us in our lives as how we live out our faith. You see, while reaching out is incredibly important and part of everything that God has called us to. 
the Great Commission, when we read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and baptizing them. That's a kind of a paraphrase. But if our mandate is to go out to all nations, our mission is to make disciples. So it's, on one hand, it's going out, intentionally involving, like we looked at last week, reaching out, preaching the gospel, sharing the love of God, showing who he is. But on the other hand, it's also to make disciples. In other words, to show people how to come into that relationship with God, but how to grow in the relationship with God. And each one of us are constantly on that process or journey of discipleship, of growing more and more like Jesus. And that happens not on your own, but in spiritual community. And that's why I want to look at this this morning and called it communities or reaching in is because actually what we see is a pattern that God has for us to live out our faith is not isolated, but in Christian community. The church is God's plan. If you remember in Acts chapter 20, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit has been poured out uh, on the disciples at Pentecost, where the Spirit of God has come, and, uh, and, and what we see is this incredible account. If you read in the, in, in the Word, when the Spirit of God came, and they were all together, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and it was like tongues of fire, and, and what it describes is the encounter of the Holy Spirit with humanity, Man, God pouring out His Spirit. And the result of that was that 3,000 were added. It says that in verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. With, so, uh, with many other words he warned them, speaking of Peter who had stood up and, and preached the gospel very eloquently. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Could you imagine what that must be like? There were about 120 in, in there, and, uh, uh, and then 3,000. I don't know about you, but that, the idea of 3,000 added in a single day, <clears throat> both delights, inspires, encourages, but also terrifies. Because that is a huge number of people, which is incredible because... That's 3,000 now saved that were lost. And we should have that expectation of God. We're crying out for more of you. We want more of you. Come, pour your spirit out. Just like we sang and called out to God today. Pour your spirit out that we would encounter him. That we would experience him again. And we trust and we believe that God will do that. And continues to do it. And continues to do it. And it doesn't stop us crying out for God, pour your spirit out. Pour. And so our expectation and our faith should be that of, because it's the same God. He hasn't changed. His desire is that we would live in relationship with Him that is far, far greater experience than we have already. The reality of encountering and living in relationship with the living God And here we have the 3,000 that were added. And why it's terrifying is this, is that uh, as a church leader, if suddenly 3,000 were added today here, what would I do? Well, you've got to understand that actually it's not what would I do, because God does it. 
And so we have a responsibility before God, but God is the one who works and God is the one who draws. And so I I would love 3,000 to be added today across Crawley. I mean, could you imagine the impact and transformation of our town if even 100 got saved today? Imagine 3,000. It would, it would transform everything. So how does that fit into what I feel to bring this morning is this, is that it then follows on. Because for me, I've been thinking and praying, so God, how, how could so many be added and that yet the church was healthy? And, and they'd never done this before. And it goes on to say, and a very well-known passage of Scripture is uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47, which says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And God added to their number daily those who are being saved. So you've got this mass salvation and then daily salvations. I don't know about you, but that stirs my heart. To see people coming to a relationship with God and to salvation daily. And God hasn't changed. This isn't something that we think will then happen then and can't happen now. Surely our faith and expectation should be, God do it again. God do it again. Use us, do it again. But what I do want to pull out from that is what I believe is key for us in how to sustain what God is doing. Because we might not be seeing thousands saved today or last week. We might in some cases not even see people being saved every day. But if we are not prepared, why would God entrust them? I know He's sovereign and He does what He plans. But surely when we have a place, a part to play, we should be prepared. Because it's not just that they're being saved from death and eternal uh, separation from God, but they're being saved and brought into a community of believers, a spiritual community. So what does that look like? Because it's in that context that we to make disciples. We go out and make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel, bringing them to Jesus, but also we ourselves are part of that process. And from what I can see, looking at Scripture, for the New Testament church, which I think is, is incredibly important for us to grasp, is it seems like there were two parts. It says there that they met, continued to meet in the temple courts which is a large gathering. So in other words, it's like us meeting here on a Sunday. So meeting together to hear the word being preached, to pray, to worship. And it says then they also continued to break bread in each other's homes and discipleship happened. Someone once said that the two lungs that the church breathes with 
are, is, is one of large corporate gatherings and the other of small gatherings and homes. And for the church to be healthy, we need both. We need to be able to gather in this context where we can worship together, where there can be teaching and, uh, uh, and, and prayer. But we also need the reality of meeting together in smaller groups where the reality of what is preached and what we believe is massaged and outworked in our lives. So that what we say we believe, we actually start living. You see, if we only have the gatherings on a Sunday, this becomes nothing more than a preaching center. And anybody can come here and go, which they're welcome to do. But discipleship takes place when iron sharpens iron, when we live out our faith in connected community together, where we take what Scripture says and we massage and work it together in our lives, in the context of smaller groups. In, in this church, we call them home groups. You can call them whatever you want, but we call them that because it makes it easier. But we need both. Psalm, Psalm 68 verse 6 speaks about the fact that God places the lonely in families, in community, because it's in community that we grow in Him. But that requires us giving ourselves to that. We are discipled, equipped, function as He's created us to function with the gifts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we gather together, big communities, but also small. And so when I speak of home groups or small groups, uh, that I'm, in, I'm meaning all the home groups. I'm also meaning youth, and I'm meaning anything that, is, that requires face-to-face meeting and gathering where it is outworked in our, in our lives. You see, the reality of Christian living requires both. Because we can come on a Sunday, we can worship God together, We can sing these words. We can pray and declare those things. And then if we live the week in isolation, where's the reality of that being outworked? Where's the reality of the body functioning as a body if it's only gathered in one moment every week? Where scripture is very clear. When God describes the church, he describes it not as an organization that people belong to or a center that people go to. He, he describes it as a family and as a body. Remember a couple of years ago now, I think it was, we looked at the different pictures that scripture uses of what a church is. A body, a building, a bride, and, and every single one of those is compound. And it's not something you come to, it's something you belong and are part of and are connected with. It's a place to belong, a place to know others and be known by others. It's a place that our lives are open for the Holy Spirit to work in and through so that through that we can then impact those around us and we are being transformed. I think there's an there's a inherent desire in all humanity to belong, 
That's why people belong to all sorts of things. A number of years ago, I used to coach hockey, uh, field hockey here in Crawley, and um, uh, and most of you know that. But it was it was that it's another whole community, and people give their lives to that community. They seriously do. They probably were involved with more hockey things than we are involved in church things. Why? Because there's a sense of belonging. And it's not, we don't do that because of the sense of belonging. I think it's just the, the reality that people want to belong and, that, and, and, and there are limits to that in, in the largeness. So if you look in, uh, in Acts chapter 16, there's the account of Lydia. Lydia was a, a lady who was a, a, um, a, a, a trader in purple cloth. She had a whole household. And Acts chapter 16 describes the moment that she comes to faith and her whole household. Then she says this to them in verse 15. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, then come and stay at my home. What she's saying there is if you consider me to be one of you, if you consider me to belong, then come and stay at my home. It's not, then allow me to come to the temple courts. Or allow me to know. It's come and be. It's a sense of belonging. And why I use the word communities is because of this. I am in faith for and expectant for and pray regularly for people to get saved, the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and the church to grow. And as that happens, we need to build more communities. And not, not buildings, but home groups. Because as a church increases in size, it also needs to decrease and multiply. What I mean by that is this. That actually it's proven through different studies that most people can cope to a maximum of knowing, not knowing well, but knowing about 100 to 150 people. Above that, then it becomes you get feel a bit lost. And so what happens is that actually what we need to do is have faith and, and believe and step out and see people get saved and God add to an increase so that we can then also have an increase in number in our Sunday gatherings and people getting saved and lives transformed so that they are going to eternity with Jesus. But at the same time, having more and more home groups, smaller communities, so that although there's a connected in the bigness, there's also a reality in the connected and the outworking in the smaller group. So for me, I I believe the, the, the thing that God has said for us is that we to constantly have smaller groups that are built around the commonality of Jesus and the Word. Jesus in the Word, that we do life together, that it transforms and that increases and multiplies in numbers as the church increases, so that as we grow big, we also stay connected and are known and be known. That we have that relationship that challenges our lives, that uh, uh, helps us to Im- implement the things of the truth of the Word of God. You see, as the church increases in size, 
and increases in the smaller, small groups, it's because that faith in God needs to be outworked in our lives, personally, through discipleship. And that's the sense of the body of Christ being worked out. So that those groups, those smaller gatherings, whether it be in your home or we meet here on Tuesday in in the building for various reasons, but whatever it is, (coughs) it's so that we can wrestle with the truth of God's word. And our lives are then transformed because of relationship and because of building in those things. And at the moment, we only have those on a Tuesday and a Wednesday evening and the youth one on a Friday evening. But it's wherever it fits. Why? So that actually there's a reality to the life of God being outworked in us. So that when you face a crisis, who stands with you? Those who know you're going through a crisis because you are known. When you have a need, who steps in? And walks alongside and provides. Those who know. Those who are with you. When you feel alone. Who's the one who comes up and encourages you? Those who know you. You see we can come together on a Sunday. And you might today. Like, I mean Linda brought that picture of the word that she felt from God. That someone was facing something and they're trying to overcome it and they can't. They need to leave it to God. Now I don't know who that is. But I know that if someone who's part of our home group was in that place, I would know. Why? Because we meet together. We know each other. I know by looking at one of them, when they're happy or when they're sad, when something's bothering. Why? Because we know. And we have quite robust discussions. Not for the sake of having a discussion, but for the sake of taking the Word of God and applying it to our lives so that we are transformed. To become more and more like Jesus. Why? So that we can shine like stars. That we can make an impact in the world around us. Folks, if we are intent and earnestly crying out to God. For God to come and move and bring salvation and bring healing and pour His Spirit out. We have to be those who live that every day of the week. And our home groups happen, uh, that's not the be-all and end-all. For me, that's just a catalyst. There's a place where you start. And outside of those meetings, we should be. There's so much more in the picture of what that means that is in my heart that I'm trusting God for. And we slowly move towards that. Actually, that's just a catalyst. That's just a moment in a week that we do gather so that in the business of life, we actually prioritize at least once when we do that. But then outside of that, in each other's homes, involved in each other's lives. Why? Because it's through that that the Holy Spirit works. It's through that that the gifts that God has, has given you can be outworked. It's through that that iron sharpens iron and the reality of actually what I thought was truth is not. It's a distortion and it's somewhere where we've had that discussion that actually the truth of God's word, it now becomes a reality that builds within our lives like a backbone or a foundation that is immovable. You see, when Jesus used the, the, the parable of the, the foolish and the wise builder, in that parable, if you read it, he says, the wise builder is the one who took the word, believed it, and put it into place. The foolish one is the one who heard the word and didn't put it into place. 
See, both of them heard the truth. What makes you wise is when you take the truth and put it into practice and allow the Holy Spirit to build it in your life. Otherwise, it's theory. And when the waves come and the storms come and in life that happens, if it hasn't been implemented and transformed and become a part of who you are, you miss the life and the power of the Word of God to build secure foundations that are unshakable. But when we just come and hear, and then something we know, it's but not applied. So how do we apply together, in community, in relationship? In Acts chapter 12, there's a crisis point. James has been killed. Herod is on the throne, and Peter's in prison. And so, for most of us, I don't know, if I was dead, the Prime Minister's on the throne, and I, I don't know, Andrew's in prison because he's preaching the gospel, for my family, that would be a crisis. But for the church there, that was a crisis point. And it says, but the church prayed. And then we know the account, Acts chapter 12, where God miraculously opens a prison door and Peter's come out. And, and, and where does he go? Where does he know the people would be? It's not a trick question. John Mark's mother's house, Mary. He goes there because that's where the church some of the church were praying. Wasn't a huge group of people, but he knew. Why? Because he knew that in their homes is where the reality of the faith was lived out, in community that was small. In the moment of crisis, and the church gathered and they gathered to pray. Where did they pray? In their homes. When God opened the door and miraculously brought his salvation from prison, where did he go? He went to where he knew they would be the home of Mary. John Mark's mum. Because that's where the church was praying. That's where the reality is. The crisis, we gather together, we pray, we stand together, we trust, we see God move. Folks, the same should be for us. That's why communities, small communities that make up the large are so important. If we're going out into the harvest field and people are being saved, what do they get saved into? A preaching center every Friday, a Sunday morning, or into the family of God that lives the reality of what it means to be a believer in the midst of the busyness of life, gathering together, working the truth of the gospel. Dining room discipleship is pretty much what I think it should be. That around fellowship, around life, shared together, whatever it is, that there's a sense of belonging and knowing who you are. Not knowing what you can do. Because what you can do, really, it's who you are. People need to know who you are. Not what you can do. Who knows who you are? Where are you building that sense of connectedness and the values that are outworked 
and of, of the of our faith and the, and the giftings and the faith is outworked as we equipped for life together. It's all in the context of groups of knowing each other, growing together, praying together. Gifts are expressed. And we see that in Scripture. We see the pattern of them meeting together in the temple courts, meeting home to home. Lydia's house, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, when um, I think it was Barnabas was there, they invited him home and gave him greater instruction. Remember the account of Jesus going to uh, the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Remember that account? Most of us hear that preach, and it's all about uh, poor Martha gets it in the neck. Because we see that they had Lazarus and Mary in Martha's house. Mary's at the feet of Jesus and Martha's busy doing everything. And most preachers on that actually focus on the fact that Martha was too busy to doing anything and actually the better places at the feet of Jesus, which is true. But can I challenge you to look at it in a slightly different way this morning? In the context of this, you see, I believe that Jesus loved going there. Because we know that when he died, he wept when, when Lazarus died. And what we see there is that there's this house and a household where Jesus could be. And you can see the different giftings. Lazarus, I think, was just a man who is, and I might be reading between the lines, but if you understand that, that he was a friend of Jesus. He obviously had a heart that was easy to, to connect with and was just a friendly chap. And his home was open. Mary, we know that she, she kind of had this real sense of worship. Was e- for her, worship was easy. She was at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, if you think about it, she had an incredible gift of hospitality and organizing. The poor issue with this moment was that she wasn't prepared in advance. And so she had to run around to try and get it all prepared because she hadn't prepared in advance. I think too often we just, she gets a bad deal because of this one moment this one time, because I'm quite sure Jesus was there often, this one time she wasn't prepared in advance. And why I say this is this, because actually if our homes are to be places where the truth of our faith is lived out in community together, it's where gifting comes up. And no matter what the gifting is, all are important. All have a role to play. That's what we see in Scripture. No matter, you can't say that the, the foot has no role to play in the... You know that Scripture about the body. Whatever you're gifting, it's incredibly valuable in the kingdom of God and needs to be worked out. If you don't, the rest of the body is poorer for it. But where's that? the context of that is primarily when we gather in each other's homes. When we gather in smaller groups where we can work out those things. And the reality of knowing others and being known by them is that it's a safe place among believers where we can wrestle with the truth. I've often said to our group, and that's why, I mean, Lisa and I have always been part of a small group. And we lead one. And at some points we've led on a Tuesday and a Wednesday evening after each other. Why? Because it's so important. But often I've said that there's no probably not so often in the last year or so, but there is no question that is too heretical to, answer, to ask in home group or in a small context. Why do I say that? Because if you have got those questions, 
and you've got nowhere that's safe where you can say, this is what I think. Help me to understand Scripture. How will your thinking ever be changed? Because you could come here every Sunday and go home and live your life the rest of the week and come here the next Sunday and, and unless you take those things and wrestle them in the reality of relationship with others, we don't grow. We need each other. The application of the Word of God in our lives. Take what is spoken. Apply it to your life and grow. But also input into each other's lives. So that together we can grow in Him. So our home groups for me is just a catalyst for that. It's an entry point into relationship if we could say that. It's a place where we gather together. It's a place where we invite others to. Why? Because we see in Scripture that it's necessary to have that. Safe place to ask questions, apply the word, uh, and grow in Him. Encourage, support the reality of community, of being known. You see, I would trust that as we've spent time living our life out with the group that we live, uh, we are part of, not only do I know them better, I'm trusting that they know us better. Because we don't hide things. It's not, well, I'm going to find out all about you and you all need to be known, but I'm going to keep... It's, we need to know each other. It's that connected. You see, as we simply reach out to the world around us, through preaching the gospel, for praying for them, seeing the harvest being uh, reaped and, and the gospel uh, and, and the stepping into the world and going beyond into different places. We also not only need to reach out, but we need to reach in within the community and disciple and grow. The two lungs, big and small, building community, discipling each other. So for us, that's so important. That's why, I mean, we don't do many notices on a Sunday compared to other churches. But one thing we mention every single Sunday because it is so vitally important is the issue of home groups. Not to fill home groups, but to say there's a reality in working out our lives together. And so I encourage you, if you're not part of one, it would be really good for you to join one. So that you are known and get to know others. It's the primary vehicle through which discipleship, growth, and, and, and life takes place in the family of God. And then when we come together on a Sunday, it's a gathering of all of those together to worship Him, to celebrate those things that He's called us to, and to grow with each other. And so for me, the... If, if we don't do that, we're missing out on so much more that God has. See, Christian community needs to have reality in order for us to grow in our knowledge of Him, our relationship with Him. And it's vitally important to do that. We open our lives to others. 
So as we look at reaching out to go and make disciples, those disciples are fashioned and formed in smaller groups as we get together to grow in the life of the kingdom and apply the truth of God's word. There's so much more that God has for you and for me in relation to our understanding Him and our relationship with others and how we live out our lives with those around us that point to Jesus. We need each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives. And I, 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 I get that's a process. And I get that it, it takes risk. But it, surely it needs to go beyond a weekly encounter. The reality of our faith lived out is tested when we have to live out the truths of that together. If in doubt, ask anyone who's in our home group. You can see. There has to be reality. Actually, we believe this. We might disagree. Then we come to a point of agreement. Then it's like, actually, there's a reality to this. Why? Because at the end, it's not about who's right or wrong. It's about Jesus. And it's about every single one of us saying, we want to be more like Jesus. With all our different, we want to be more like Jesus. And I need you and you need me and we need to be together before Jesus. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How's that expressed? Not just in big group, but in smaller. He didn't say this is how they will know that you are my disciples by what you preach. Or how good you are X, Y, or Z. It's that you love one another. And true love for one another is saying, God, you're the center and the foundation. And everything I am and do is based on you. And, and so I need to be transformed to be more like you, Jesus. Why? Because there's a world that needs him. All these people that we pray for are lost. We cry, pour your spirit out, God, come move. Why? So that there would be people who come to salvation. And the reality of that is worked out in our lives together. So last week was reaching out. This week, if you want to use those terms, it's reaching in, discipleship. Give yourself to it, not just to instruct others, but to receive. And then next week we'll look at reaching beyond to the bigger picture of what God's called us to. Yvonne came forward this morning during worship because she felt she had a picture and it was, uh, I think I'm getting this right, There's a, she saw what seemed to be the same scene painted in two different ways. One painted as a Renaissance master and one painted as an Impressionist. Now, if you look at the two, the Rena- if you know anything about art history, the Renaissance master is painted with accuracy, with detail, with precision, with clarity. And the Impressionists were not. You see, it's the same scene, but the one can look quite stale. The whole point of the Impressionists' approach, for those of you who don't know, was to capture 
the light and life of that scene. They were capturing the technical detail. They were capturing the light and life. And it looks a bit messy. We're not called to be technically perfect and every dot and everything crossed. We're called to capture the light and life of Jesus. So when the world sees, they might see a mess to start with, but they will capture the light and life of God. I don't know if that's what you felt the word was meaning, but that's what I heard from what you brought. So I'd encourage you, life together is messy, but it would reflect the light and life of Jesus. We can have slick Sundays that look like a Renaissance painting, or we can live as an Impressionist. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer that. The light and life of God to shine through. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we can come together freely. Lord, I thank you that although this is a, to some this would be a message that they already know, but Lord, I pray that out of the, that you would bring new things. God, that as we set our faces to you, And say, Lord, use us. Come and move. Pour your spirit out, Lord, that there would be a reality of Christian living together. Lord, help us to step into that. Thank you that you have not placed us here to live in isolation. But you've given us each other to encourage, to strengthen, to challenge, to instruct, to build up. So that we as the body would be healthy. So that those as we reap the harvest, as we go out into the harvest field and people get saved, they're involved in a life-giving body. Where your light and your life flows through every fiber of our being. God, we want so much more of you. We long for your spirit to be poured out. We long for this world and this town and the nations to be transformed by the power of your Spirit. God, use us. We give ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you today. Come and have your way. And God, if we need to make adjustments, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would show us where we need to adjust. For the sake of your glory and your kingdom, that we would be able to accomplish everything that you have planned and purposed for us. And that this town, our neighborhoods, our families and the nation would be transformed because we live the reality of the word and the spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.